Tonight, we will be talking about worry and concern. Luckily, none of you experience any sort of worry or concern on a regular basis, right? Just kidding. Interesting that stress and worry can actually take a toll on you physically. You can develop stomach ulcers, all kinds of disorders, all kinds of aches and pains, all from being anxious and worrying. So if it's the case that there's a cure for this worrying concern, wouldn't it be something that we would like to discover? Wouldn't you like to be free of all worry and concern? That's actually God's intent for every believer. This is something that people that are not Christians are not able to experience. And so if you're a person who at least would say, I'm a believer in Jesus, this is a study for you because all of us will at some point in time deal with worries and concerns. And so because of that, we're going to study Matthew chapter 6, what Jesus has to say about concerns as it pertains to this life and as it pertains to the next one. So what we're going to do is we're going to read starting in verse 25. Jesus speaking on the Mount of Beatitudes to his disciples says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. It was ironic, no, I'm teaching on this, and then thinking about what am I going to wear tonight? It's semi-formal, I don't want to go too formal, you know, I was just thinking about that in the back of my mind. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor, nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Dear Jesus, we pray tonight that you'd speak to us in a powerful, powerful way. That this is not something that we talk about conceptually, but also something we can experience in our everyday life. Sometimes it's so hard to trust what's written in the Bible because we've never experienced a peace like that before in our lives. So we pray that we're able to enter into that peace tonight. Whatever we're struggling with, whatever we're going through, oh Lord, would you touch us by the power of your Holy Spirit? Would you show us the better way to live our lives in light of the fact that you are working all things together for good? We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. So, I was in El Paso, Texas, back in February. I've been there now about five times. It's interesting to go back every couple years 
and see it's kind of like the middle of the nowhere desert, and it keeps on getting built up. I remember years ago going there for the first time and asking one of the waitresses, so what does everybody do here for fun? It's just desert, you know? And she said, uh, we go to the movie theater. That's it? That's literally all they do, because there's desert and movie theater. And there's only one in the entire, like, whatever, 100 miles, I don't know. So it's a pretty boring place, except for the fact that it's one of the greatest rock climbing destinations in the entire country, okay? So there's a place called Waco Tanks Historical State Park. And in Waco Tanks, it's called Waco because Waco in Espanol, I'm told, means hole or hollow. And so you have these rock formations with all kinds of different features. It's really cool. And it actually was an ancient Indian campground where because of the rocks and the way that it's formed and you have these hollows or these holes, there would be water that collects in the hole so that in the middle of the desert, you would have an oasis. I used to think for the longest time, how in the world does anybody survive in a desert? Especially an Indian, uh, a group of Indian people that would actually live and grow crops and be able to survive in the middle of the desert. Well, that's how they would do it. There would be water that collects from the rare times that it would rain in the desert. It would collect in these holes in the rock, and they'd be able to drink from it and be able to feed uh, their animals and all whatever else they have to do. So they could survive in the middle of the desert. Now, because it's an ancient Indian campground, there was a lot of rock art, and there's also a lot of pagan rituals so that this place would be a sacred Indian campground. Because you see, the Indians saw this as an oasis in the middle of the desert, and they understood something, or at least they thought something, which was this. The gods, or the spirits, or whatever it is that their belief system is, provides for them naturally. They didn't do anything, and so they worshiped the spirits or the gods or whatever divine entity it was because otherwise they would not be able to provide for themselves. I think a lot of these ancient cultures had a greater understanding of how God provides for us than maybe some Christians because they recognize that they're fully dependent on what happens in nature to survive. Whereas we, we feel like it's all up to us. So this is what the Bible says to those that are Christians and followers of Jesus. It says, don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink, nor about your body, what you're going to put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Your heavenly Father feeds them. In other words, what he's saying here is, have you ever noticed that birds are not concerned about what they're going to eat? I mean, I don't know. I'm not a bird. But it seems like someone is looking out for them so that they're able to survive and fend for themselves. They can feed their kids. They always find the worms. There's always rain for them to drink. And you see kind of deer on the parkway, right? They're just like, where, what do the deer do at night besides running to the middle of the road and get hit by cars? Somehow, deer always survive. And this is what the Bible is saying. Jesus says that your heavenly Father is the one who feeds them. He set up a system so that people would be able to survive, animals would be able to survive naturally. Now he says, are you not more value than these animals? And which of you by worrying can add one cubit to stature? How many of you can grow taller by worrying? You can't. 
How many of us can change our hairs just by thinking, like whether it's black or white or whatever color it is? None of us, by worrying or stress, can change anything about our circumstances except our own physical health. This is what God is saying. Why are you worried about things you can't control? And I think sometimes it's the pagans that have a better understanding of this than even some Christians. So why be concerned about your life? So in our discussion today, in our study today, we're going to be looking at the cares of this life, the cares of the kingdom, the promise of the kingdom, and then how to see this kingdom concern in practice. So first of all, we're going over the cares of this life. This is what Jesus is addressing. He addresses two things. First of all, survival. And then second, he addresses beauty. But we'll talk about survival first. So Jesus addresses the fact that people are worried about a lot of things. They're concerned about a lot of things. The first thing is survival. And that's what we just read in verses 25 to 27. How many of us are worried about what we're going to eat tomorrow? Probably not many of us, right? But realize we're living in a very rich and wealthy society where we get to choose what we want to eat on a regular basis. We get to go to the grocery store. We have so many options. Go to fast food. We get to make food at home. We have so much access to so much abundance, whereas the majority of the world does not have that luxury. The majority of the world lives in poverty so that some of them might actually wonder if they're going to survive the day because they wonder if they'll be able to provide for their own families. We've not had that stress. And some of you may be in low-income situations, but even low-income situations here are still wealthier than people in different situations around the world. So when we recognize that, then we have to ask ourselves, well, what is the proper application for us? If we're not necessarily worried about food, what are we worried about? Well, we are worried about survival, aren't we? How many of us, the second we get sick or we don't feel well, we go on WebMD, and lo and behold, you have cancer, you have arthritis, right? You have, like, everything. Everything that's terrible, right? You just self-diagnose, and you just freak out because you're like, oh, my goodness, I'm going to die tomorrow. And then you get right with God, which is great, actually. No, I'm kidding. I mean, it is, but. So we stress ourselves out because we look at our health and wonder if, oh my goodness, my life is going to be ruined because I'm not healthy. Or maybe it's not that, but maybe you're just thinking of the future and how in the world will I ever get a good job if I don't get into the school I want to? How will I ever get into the school I want to unless I get perfect grades? How will I ever be able to progress in my sport, progress in my friend group unless I meet the right people? We have all these concerns about our future because we're afraid that if we don't take care of it ourselves, if we're not the early bird, we're not going to catch the worm. If we don't do what it takes to take advantage of the day for ourselves, we're going to be stuck. We're going to be completely left without a calling, without a purpose in life. And we're going to like be leftovers that are called to be missionaries in whatever, some foreign country. Like, that's it. That's, like, all God has for you. Like, well, I guess I can call you to a foreign country to preach the gospel. Like, I know. I'm a failure, right? That's not true at all. But this is sometimes how we feel. We are so worried about not being successful because everything that you see on social media is marketing to tell you about what's most important. 
as it comes to society. But that's where we got to completely change the way that we think about what's most important. This is what Jesus is focusing on. Here in this passage, he's saying, you're worried about the cares of this life, but you should be concerned with the kingdom of God. That is the main point, the big emphasis of tonight. So many of us are concerned with our life, but Jesus is telling us to be concerned with his kingdom. So maybe it's not college. Maybe it's not your health. Maybe it's not your job. But you're just worried in general, and you have fear in your life. That's a real thing. Anxiety disorders are a real thing. I'm someone who suffered with anxiety for many, many years, and you know, I still have a propensity to like think down a black hole and be trapped in my thoughts and just overthink everything, right? You just can't unlock yourself, disengage from the situation. You're so, maybe it's social anxiety. You're just so afraid of what everybody thinks. Maybe it's a fear of dying. Maybe it's a fear of the dark. Maybe it's a fear. We have all these kinds of fears, don't we? And that's perfectly normal. You're not odd for thinking that. For myself, usually the people, I'm just talking statistics, okay? What I hear is, statistically, people that have panic attacks are usually more women than men. So for myself, I, like, I, as a guy, I felt like weird admitting that I was going through panic attacks. So I always made excuses. Anytime my friends would want to go out or do something that I was uncomfortable doing or I'd be afraid of having a panic attack, I would always make an excuse like, oh, I'm tired. You know, I don't really don't want to do that. And, and just whatever, because it was too embarrassing, right? But this is what church is for, by the way. Come together, say we're all broken people, we all have our challenges, but guess what? No matter your challenge, Jesus is always the solution. And that's why we've come together, to share our concerns, to unload our burdens, bear one another's burdens, and say, I don't have all the answers, but what I do have is Jesus Christ in my heart. And whatever it is that you're going through, I know that maybe not right away, but if you give him time and you just trust in the Lord with all your heart, you lean not on your own understanding, acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will direct your paths. I know that if we just bring your concerns to Jesus, let's do that right now. Let's pray. Like, actually start practicing that as a church. Not just waiting for me to do it, because I'm the pastor, but you do it. You have the Holy Spirit. And you're saying, you know what? Let's bring this before the Lord right now. I remember, and I may have shared this before, one of my close friends in high school, the girl that he was talking to, worked at a toy store, and he was in love with her. She had a headache, she went to bed, and she never woke up because she had a brain aneurysm. And I remember praying with my friend because I had no idea what to say to him. Guess what? There is nothing like the comfort that's found in Jesus. There is no amount of words you can say as a non-believer, as an atheist. There's nothing you can say that could ever give people that comfort that's only found in the peace that surpasses his understanding in Jesus Christ. It's a fact. Usually what people say is, you know, our thoughts are with you if you're an atheist, right? Like, what does that even mean? Because people don't know what to say. And even as Christians, it could still be difficult to try to find the words to give people peace in the midst of a hard situation. It can be hard as somebody's going through anxiety or depression or cutting or suicidal thoughts or these other things. It can be hard even as a Christian to figure out, oh my goodness, what in the world can I say to help this person? But that's why... Sometimes the best thing to do is, you know what, I don't know what to say, but I want to pray for you, and I, I'm here to listen. I'm here to cry with you. I'm here to weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn, and rejoice with those who rejoice. 
That's my job as a Christian, not to try to figure out all the answers. Actually, sometimes the best thing to do is not have an answer and just sit with people, just be present with people, to show the love of Jesus Christ, which is, wasn't distant up in heaven, and he just shouted down like nice little pithy sayings to people, but he embodied God and came down to our planet and not just walked this earth, but also died on the cross for our sins. He was wounded for our transgressions, and it's by his stripes that we are healed, right? He, he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, the Bible says. If you're grieving, if you're depressed, he knows what that's like. So maybe you're an anxious person like I was, right? And it took me years, and you, you hate to hear that. It took me years to be able to see God's faithfulness in the moments I would have a panic attack and freak out, like, I'm going to die, and then tell myself, you know what? I'm going to trust in God despite the fact that I feel like I'm going to die. I'm going to trust in the Lord, not try to look at my situation as it is, and believe his word that if I seek first his kingdom, all these things will be added unto me, even if I don't have it all figured out, right? That's the confidence that you can have in Jesus Christ. That no matter what your anxious situation, that ultimately there's a God who loves you more and can do more than you could ever do because we're only human. We don't know how to fix our situation, but God does. And sometimes he's given us the situation that we're in to develop character and to actually develop in us the ability to speak into other people's lives that go through the same trials. Because, you've, because I've gone through anxiety and, and a lot of those situations, I can speak to some of you and say, like, I definitely know what that's like, and it was terrible. But you know what? Even if I had that struggle in the future, I now have the confidence in Jesus, and I can say this pretty confidently. I have the confidence in Jesus that if he got me through it in the past, he will continue to get me through it in the future. So the cares of this life, he talks about food. He talks about survival. The second thing, the second care is beauty. Verse 28. So why do you worry about clothing? Not just food, survival, but also what you wear. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Now, Solomon was the wealthiest king that ever lived, right? King Solomon, people would travel to hear his wisdom. He had so much money, so much gold. He built so many different things. And God says, Jesus says in this passage, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these, the lilies of the field, the flowers. They don't do anything, and they just look beautiful. There's something about nature and creation where it's like, do you notice they don't have to do anything to it, but you can still marvel at it? You can look at the sun. Everyone can objectively say like a sunset, sunrise is beautiful. It's amazing. They don't have to do anything. It just in its natural process, in its natural order, it is beautiful. Here's what you need to know. A lot of times you're so concerned, especially in our culture, about what we look like, what we need to wear, how to be beautiful, how to put on the right filter on Instagram or whatever, our VSCO, in order that people can see that we are beautiful and give us likes on our photos, 
comments, send us messages. We do everything we can to look beautiful. But what you need to know is God has already made you beautiful so that if you did nothing, you would still be wonderfully and fearfully made. But when we don't recognize that, here's what we got to do. We got to cover it up. Put on a lot of makeup, put on jewelry, put on a lot of whatever it is so that people look at us and say, now I recognize that that person's beautiful. Why do we want to do that? It's because we want to be valued. We want to be recognized. Some of you want to be in a relationship. I am a firm believer of this. Whoever it is that marries you should believe that you're the most beautiful person to them. I mean, you don't need to be beautiful like the most beautiful person on the planet, right? We don't need that. That's like, that's like pride. But to be the most beautiful person to your beloved, and that happens in a number of different facets, in a number of different ways. I think that should be true for every single person, that they are valued in such a way that the person that marries them says, I value you above every other person that's alive. Or dead, I guess. <laughs> but to have that kind of relationship where you don't need to do anything else. You don't need to, as long as, you know, like the person that you're going to marry one day says, like, as long as you dress a certain way, you look a certain way, put on a certain kind of makeup, that's the only way that I'll ever think that you're beautiful or you're lovely or whatever. Like, that's silly, right? But isn't it true that we always want to be accepted for who we are, not for what we're not? So then why do we always try? Why do we always try to put on our best or, or put on whatever photos that we look in our best angle or whatever it is. Why do we do that? It's because we don't even like who we are. We don't have any confidence in who we are, so we always try to be somebody else. And at the same time, we want people to accept us for who we are. But listen to this. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 3, this is what the Apostle Peter says to the ladies. He says, Do not let your adornment be merely outward. I'm not saying it's wrong. To want to look nice, not saying it's, it's wrong to have makeup or whatever, but he says, don't let it be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves being submissive to their own husbands. This is the true definition of modesty. Modesty is not cover everything up so that nobody lusts about, you know, no one lusts at you and make sure that you look like, you know, like the Michelin man. You cover every, like literally like a pillow so that nobody could ever look at you with like tempting whatever. That's not how it, how it works. True modesty is letting the beauty inside shine. So because of that, you're not letting what you wear be a distraction from who you are. That's really what it comes down to. Like when we choose our clothes, this is, what, this is why we choose certain clothes that we do. We're trying to express something, right? If you're wearing um, a certain style, if you're dressing a certain way, you're always trying to express something. I know this would be the case because all throughout high school, once again, I had four different styles. I started off freshman year, in case you didn't know this, maybe you're a freshman or incoming freshman. Freshman year, I dressed like a punk rocker. I had studded belts, red spiky hair. You know, I wore skater shirts and bright red socks. Um, the next year, 
Sophomore year, I was wearing more like gangsta clothes, really baggy jeans, really baggy shirts, do-rags, and yeah, I have pictures. I have my bling. It was a, it was a Jesus bling because it said Joshua 1-9 on it. There's pictures, trust me. And so I was a gangsta for Jesus. Junior year, I wore Abercrombie Fitch, American, um, American Eagle, all like, I was preppy, you know, and then senior year, I was a scene kid, so I wore like, you know, tight pants and <laughs> long hair. I didn't wear long hair, I just had long hair. <laughs> you get the point. And there was like a short period of time, you probably blocked out of your mind because it was so scarring, that all of us guys wore really deep v-necks. Maybe like down to your sternum. You remember that? And there's like the one guy who has it down to his belly button. No, I'm kidding. That didn't exist. That would have been really creepy. So now you wonder why. Why was I like that? Well, for me, I just figured everybody was like this until I realized like looking back, nobody was like that. I don't know a single person. And I've met a lot of people over the past 30 years of my life. I've met a lot of people. I've not met a single person who did what I did. That is really weird. But here's what I was doing. I had a different group of friends every year of high school, and I always tried to express myself in different ways. And I tried to, when I felt like I was being rejected by one group, try to reinvent myself and be somebody else. And that's why I try to always figure out where do I fit in? Who am I? And I express myself in different ways. And maybe you don't do it to that extent with the way that you dress, but a small extent, right? You're portraying who you are to the world, and that's why we have writing on our t-shirts, we're not gonna wear goofy clothing. We're not gonna do something stupid. We're always looking to fit in so that we can express ourselves and, and say who we really are. But true modesty, once again, is letting the beauty that's inside shine. And so because of that, you're dressing in a certain way so that people aren't distracted by your body. They're focusing on the inner person, the inner beauty. So ladies especially, the thing that you should be focused on if you want to attract a godly man is what's inside, not what's on the outside. If you're spending more time, I need to be careful with this. Okay, forget what I just said. Revise. If you are spending a lot of time getting dressed, putting on your makeup, and very little time in the word of God, guess where your priorities are? I'm not saying it has to be a one-to-one -one ratio. That's why I'm revising. What I am saying, because I don't know how long it takes for a girl to get dressed, but I, what I am saying is, should you not, if you're going to spend a lot of time looking good to attract somebody else, right, your prom, tonight, semi-formal, whatever, should you not spend a lot of time in God's presence so that you're like Moses, who met with God on Mount Sinai, and when he came down, his face was shining, that people can even look at his face, but we have the light of Christ. So when we spend time in God's presence, people know, man, there's something different about you. There's something attractive, and I want to know that person. You're going to attract the type of person that you are aiming to attract. If you're trying to attract a person who's very shallow, then just focus entirely on your body. If you want to attract a person who's godly, committed, disciplined, in love with Jesus, then focus on what's inside, because that is a super rare thing. It's a very common thing to see a lot of beautiful people today. Like you see it on Instagram, you see it on the news, you see it in movies. Beautiful people are common. 
on the outside, but a beautiful person on the inside is a rare, rare individual. And so aim to be that kind of person. Now for the guys, what I would say is, do not be deceived by what's on the outside. A lot of times, especially the, the younger you are, you might immediately, immediately default to love at first sight. And like, wow, I want to ne- get to know that girl. But give it some time. Because what you, what you think is, sometimes you're like, I have to ask that girl out. I want to get her number. Like, that's just your mentality as a teenage boy. But if you want to be a man, what you do is treat all women like your sisters in Christ. You're not playing favorites. Even at youth group, this can happen so often. My entire goal tonight is to get a picture in the photo booth with a girl of my dreams. Right? That can happen. Don't have to laugh because when you laugh, then we uh, expose you. But it can be so true that sometimes in a social situation, at a party, a youth group, your entire aim as a man is, all right, I'm here to pursue a bride. So you start looking to, you know, finagle your, your, your way into a conversation. Finagle, I've never used that word before. You're trying to slip in a conversation where you can talk to that girl casually, right? But what we do is when we're only focused on the outward, we're missing out on life-changing and life-giving conversations we can have with a person that maybe... Maybe, maybe we didn't, we didn't want to talk to that person at first, but that's what Jesus does. He made himself a friend of sinners. He went and ate at their houses. Don't you think it would be like Jesus to sometimes to say, and maybe you could be in a relationship, right? To set aside a night and say, instead of talking to the person that I'm dating, instead of talking to the person that I like, I'm going to actually set aside this night to go and speak to a person that I normally wouldn't speak to because maybe that person doesn't have any friends. Maybe that person's new. Maybe that person, I can impart Jesus to that person, you know? So you're actually just taking this mentality. I would actually say if you're dating a person, it should be that much more incentive that when you're in social situations, that you're spending more time with other people than you are with each other. Because you're going to have your time, you know, at your parents' house. You're going to have your time on dates. You're going to have time for your, you and the other person. But why not, especially when you're in church, use this time to be able to invest in other people. So that's what I would challenge you to do. It's nothing worse than going on group hangouts and there's like the forming couple that's like off in the corner talking to only each other the whole time or the couple that's like a couple and they don't acknowledge anybody else and they only invited you as an excuse to talk to each other. So just saying. So the cares of this life, survival, beauty, let the natural beauty of what God has imparted to you be the thing that shines. And then the spiritual beauty inside of your heart come forth so that you can attract the right person that God has for you. But ultimately, these are still cares of this life. Relationships, like sometimes you think, man, I'm going to be 16 and I've never dated anybody before. I'm going to be single for the rest of the rest of my life. And like, maybe, probably not. Probably not. Don't limit God's time span to 18 years. Just be willing to say, you know what, Lord? I know that you have my best interest in mind, and so I'm fine in waiting as long as you would have me, which is dangerous prayer, because you don't want to pray that. She's like, if I pray that, he might make me wait 40 years. Probably not, but maybe. Okay, 
So that was the cares of this life. Let's now talk about the cares of the kingdom. We'll go a little bit faster. Verse 31. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. In other words, he's saying, the people that aren't Christian, those are the questions that everybody has to ask. Because they don't have a God to consult. They don't go off into their prayer closet and talk to Jesus and say, well, Lord, I know that you're going to provide for me. They don't have any God to do that with. So that's why they have to figure it out. He says, but your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Do you understand, like, God knows your needs even before you ask? That's what we talked about a couple weeks ago, right? God knows everything that you're struggling with. Everything that you're saying, oh, Lord, I, I desire this so badly. But this is where the scripture says, delight yourself in the Lord and what? Do you know the verse? Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. It's an amazing promise. But that means that you need to delight yourself in the Lord. Do what pleases him. He gives you his desires and then he fulfills it. So your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So what the Bible is saying here is really interesting. He says our needs, physical needs, relational needs, all those things can be provided for despite our concern. So remember what we just said? Like when I was in Waco Tanks Historical Park, somehow there's ecosystems there. Somehow... Animals survive there. Somehow, people actually live there. Whether they're worried or not, they survived. In the same way, whether you worry about it or not, you're probably going to be okay. That God can actually take care of your concerns, your needs, despite whether or not you think about it. However, don't miss this. God is actively seeking people to advance his kingdom. God can take care of your needs without thinking about it, but he's desiring and seeking people to be concerned about his kingdom. So what he's saying is this. Everyone look up here. I don't see everybody, everybody look up here. Good. You're getting distracted. You may be so focused on your, your life, your personal needs, your success, whatever, and God's saying, don't worry about that. I got that. There are certain things I want you to actually be concerned about, to be thinking about. And that is the advancement of God's kingdom, which actually is a much better trade if you think about it. Like God says, hey, listen, I want you to focus on your character because I got, I got the person that you're going to marry one day. I got that. That's fine. I want you to focus on being the person that's prepared for that bride that I have for you. To be focused on the love in your heart. Like if you got a stubborn heart, guess what? It'd probably take you a long time for you to get married. Right? God has to weed things out of your life, has to hone character inside of you. And so if we're being stubborn and we're refusing to acknowledge the Lord in all of our ways, if we're refusing to seek his kingdom, how will he be able to add all these things unto us? Now, it's definitely possible. God's gracious. Sometimes he gives us things that we don't deserve for sure. All of the things that we receive, we don't deserve. However, it seems here that what God is saying is that our responsibility is to focus on his kingdom, and it's after that that these things are added unto us, all of our needs. 
So since God is seeking hearts to advance his kingdom, we have to ask ourselves the question, how is he asking for me to advance his kingdom? That's it. Your daily concern is this. Lord, what do you want me to do today? There's a billion things I could do with my free time. I got all summer. And probably, you're a teenager, you probably don't set your entire month schedule. Maybe you are because you're very organized. Most of you probably live on a day-to-day basis already. But imagine what determines your schedule for the day is this. Lord, I could talk to, you know, 100 different people. I could text a whole bunch of people. What do you want me to do today? Because I want to focus on your kingdom. I know you're going to be able to take care of everything else. So turn to the book of Isaiah real quick. I want to show you a passage in chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. Verse 3. Ah, we'll just do verse 1. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one cried out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. That is our task. Here, the prophet Isaiah has a vision of the Lord. He sees him in all of his glory, and our immediate reaction when we see God in all of his perfection and beauty and glory is this. Woe is me, I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. We see the beauty of the Lord, and we realize I've been so wrong about everything. But then, to realize that our sin is taken away, and just believe it. Jesus says, yeah, you're a terrible person, you're sinful, whatever. But don't worry, because since he died on the cross for our sins, all of it is vanquished. It's gone. As far as the east is from the west, your sin is remembered no more. Now, guess what? You can do two things. You can say, yeah, but did he really do that? I mean, like, I did a lot of bad stuff. Or we could say, I believe it. Sure. Because then this is what happens. If you don't believe that God has forgiven you of whatever it is that you've committed, you can't be obedient when he says, whom will I send? Who will go for me? God is always seeking and looking for people whose hearts are loyal to him to go on his behalf, to represent him well in the world, to stand in the gap, to pray on behalf of the wicked and evil people to be able to reach people for for his namesake. But it requires us saying, yes, Lord, I believe your word. I believe I'm forgiven. And you're asking, who will go? Uh, Me, I guess. If you'll send me, I'll go. Imagine you have that kind of mentality, right? Are you qualified? I don't know. 
But he's asking for people to go, so yeah, I'll sign up. I'll do that. And you have that mentality every single morning. So God says, seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, everything else will be added unto you. Every morning you do this. Lord, I probably did some bad things today. I pray that you show me. Yup, did that wrong. Here, it's the one prayer he will always faithfully answer almost immediately. Lord, search me, know my heart, see if there's any wicked way in me. Probably not though, right? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, I did that today, didn't I? He'll immediately show you all the ways that you've been wrong. You, so you do that, and after that you're like, thank you, Lord, that you forgive me. I confess those sins. Yep, that was wrong. And then from that, you're like, all right, now that we got that out of the way, what do you want to do? Because whatever it is, no matter how ridiculous it is, if you tell me to go, I'll go. You give me the power to go, I'll do it. And you live your life that way. That's it. Imagine the, the amazing things you could do if you just live your life that way. It's much better than me trying to talk to you every single day and texting you and saying like, okay, uh, since I am your spiritual guru, your spiritual navigator, Today, I want you to talk to 10 people about Jesus. Because I don't know, maybe you can't do that. But the Holy Spirit can instruct you and lead you into all truth and lead you into the way that leads to life and be able to minister to other people. So imagine you're just in the Word of God and you're praying, you're saying, all right, Lord, I'm ready. I'm ready to walk in obedience. So that requires you seeking first the kingdom of God. Now, seeking first does not necessarily mean seeking first thing in the morning. I think that's great, but it's not first, like God first, everything else second, third, fourth, fifth. It means God in each and everything that you do. That if I am going to play soccer, that I seek first God, his kingdom, his righteousness. What's more important than winning this game is making sure I represent Jesus well in the game. That is more important. And we all failed at that. This morning, totally failed. Went to a coffee shop, and oh gosh, there's a guy who's like a universalist. He probably won't ever listen to this, so I can say this. And he just said a lot of mumbo-jumbo about things that I was like, this is so bananas. And Steph Esposito was there at the, at the coffee table. She was so patient. She was so godly. And she let me run my mouth for 40 minutes. I texted her afterwards. I said, Steph, why don't you just tell me to shut up? She's like, I thought about it. I'm like, oh, thanks. <laughs> but argue with this guy. The whole time I'm thinking, I need to, like, tone it down. I need to, like, keep my voice quieter. But I know, like, the whole coffee shop probably heard the entire conversation. And I just, like, could not believe this man. And so I'm arguing with him back and forth. And I said a whole bunch of things that I probably shouldn't have said. And then afterwards, I went up to the barista, who I know. And I said to him, I'm very sorry for that conversation. He was like, dude, no, it's fine. It's cool. But I was like, I completely lost sight of what is most important. The most important thing was not being right, convincing this person that he is bananas. The most important thing is making sure I'm seeking for the kingdom of God, his righteousness. And that's so hard to do when you're doing Christian things. Like, I'm evangelizing. Of course I'm seeking first the kingdom of God. I'm reading my Bible. Of course I'm seeking the first the kingdom of God. I'm in a godly relationship. I'm talking to godly people. I'm around Christians. I'm in church. I'm seeking first the kingdom. And we check the box. I went to church this week. I went to Impact this week. But are you abiding in Christ in such a way that each and every activity, whether in church, outside of church, at school, not in school, that you're representing him well and seeking him first? Which means even on Snapchat and Instagram that you're seeking first the kingdom of God. The way you represent Jesus is evident even on your social media. 
Like, it should not be the case. And listen, it happens. I'm not condemning anybody. shouldn't be the case that you have to block me on your Instagram to make sure that, like, I don't want him to find out who I really am. Right? That shouldn't be the case. Be a consistent person. Like, own it up. Say, like, this is who I want to be. We all do stupid things. We all say things we don't mean. We all sometimes portray people that we don't want to be. But then you make a choice. Choose to say who you want to be. And then you, every day you're saying, Lord, I'm starting off this day saying, I want you to be King Jesus in my life. I want you to reign over every single thing. Teach me in the way that I should go. And that way you can just have that daily obedience. That's why just in closing, verse 34, don't worry about tomorrow. That's God's problem. You worry about today. That's your problem. That's how I summarize verse 34. Don't worry about tomorrow. It's going to worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. God has given you tasks to do today. We can be so worried about the future. What will it look like? How will I figure this out? Will I go to school? What if I'm poor and homeless and I'll die as a single person? Right? That's what you're worried about. Stop it. Don't worry about those things. Honestly, this is the last thing I'll say. If I could take it back, the biggest thing that I would take back is how much time I wasted pursuing after relationships that ultimately were not what God called me to have. This is the ultimate time waster. Mentally, emotionally, you know, just in your time spent towards a person, just, just don't do it. Instead, say, Lord, I want to invest in your kingdom. So maybe it's not relationships, maybe that's not your idol, but maybe it's an activity, and you're spending time doing something it could be a sport. It could be um, an activity in general, a hobby, music. You're wasting time doing things that God hasn't called you to do. And on the day of judgment, when God returns and you, you're going to heaven, he's going to say, what did you do with all the things I gave you? And you'll say, look, I was a good steward of this. He's like, that's great, but I didn't ask you to do that. Who asked you to do that? I didn't ask you to do that. Right? That we're just obedient with what God has called us to do. So, let's aim to not be concerned with the cares of this life, but be concerned with the kingdom of God. Let's pray.